0: Today's passage comes from John, John 12. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He is risen. He is risen. Okay, I had a theory that only 10% of the people would know that. And I've been testing it out, but it seems like it's more than 10%. So praise God. You know, this is a glorious day. What a wonderful day to gather together and to worship. And as uh, Pastor Fuji shared, this is our first Sunday, uh, first Easter Sunday that we are celebrating together here in this building. So truly um, just a a grace and a mercy. So, So for those of you who are with us for the first time, we're glad you're joining us please, please stop by and join us for lunch. It's just a wonderful opportunity to gather together and to worship through eating, and that's a blessing. You know, when I was in elementary school, we took a field trip to a funeral home. I know, that's a very odd, (laughs) odd field trip, but we did. And there's actually only one thing I remember from that field trip. We went to the chapel inside the funeral home and on the wall was a crucifix. If you don't know what a crucifix is, it's a, uh, it's a cross with a depiction of Jesus' body with the thorn of, uh, crown of thorns on his head and the broken body of Christ. And so the funeral director, as he was giving us this tour, said, if we have a Catholic funeral, we have this crucifix. And then he pressed a button and the wall just flipped and turned around. <laughs> And on it was another cross, and the cross had nothing on it. It was just a cross, and, it said, and he said, if we have a Christian funeral, we have this cross. Now, when I was young, I didn't understand what that meant or why, but it, it is actually very indicative of how we as Christians view this day and how we view Christianity, because The cross and the death of Christ is very significant for Christians, very much so. But may I say that for us as Christians, the cross and the death of Christ is ultimately meaningless unless Jesus rose from the grave. And that's why as much as we emphasize the death of Christ, we even more so emphasize the resurrection of Christ. And so, do you think that we have to see this? And this passage from the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, actually sort of reveals that progression. And we're going to look at that progression through three points. First, the glory of Christ. Second, the death of Christ. And then third, the resurrection of Christ from John chapter 12. First, looking at the glory of Christ, Jesus is encountered by these, what John describes as Greeks, and when he says Greeks, he essentially means Gentiles or non-Jews. So these were people who were perhaps unfamiliar or maybe a little familiar with sort of the Hebrew scriptures and knowing a little bit of the religious background of Judaism, but essentially they were people who had somehow heard about this Jesus who was going around, he was teaching in ways that were so unique to the world that he encountered, he also performed many miracles. And so, these men, they wanted to find out more. Who is this Jesus? And they said to the disciples, "Uh, we wanna see this Jesus, we wanna see him. And when he was told this, Jesus responds this way, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now that just seems like a very odd response to these men who say, we wanna see Jesus. And then he responds by saying, the Son of Man. So a few things to note about that phrase and that title. It was very obvious to Jews that that phrase, Son of Man, which is repeated all throughout, especially the book of Ezekiel and other parts of the Old Testament, that that's a phrase for the Messiah, the Savior, the anointed one. And so any Jew would have heard that phrase and they would have known oh, this is talking about this Messiah figure that's going to come. And so when Jesus is saying the Son of Man, he's essentially saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. And it's a very bold statement. It's so bold that he says the Son of Man is going to be glorified. No longer is Jesus going to in any way shirk or hide behind this identity of being the Messiah. He's going to put it front and center. I know some of you perhaps have, I think actually some students and different people have, maybe you've uh, come up with some works of art and you've had the privilege of having it shown in say a a gallery showing or something like that. And if you know anything about gallery art, you take that piece of art that you've worked on so much and you find a, a really beautiful frame, then you hang. they hang it up on a wall and then they put all these lights on it. And it's meant to show, to highlight, to spotlight this beautiful piece of art. In the same way Jesus is saying, as the Son of Man, the Messiah, I want to be spotlighted. I want you to see me in this light. And so, if you've ever encountered Jesus, and some of us might think, well, I really like Jesus' teachings. I like the fact that he has wise sayings, he's moral, he's just. The problem with only seeing Jesus as moral and just is that you cannot just pass by a passage like this where Jesus is saying, I'm more than just a moral teacher. I'm actually the son of God, I'm the Messiah, I'm the savior, and I want that to be spotlighted, to be shown brightly. While we're in Spain, Sung and I had an opportunity to uh, share the gospel with uh, a teenager, a teen- teenager boy, and as we were sharing the gospel, we were, he, he was really struggling with this identity of Jesus rising from the grave, the resurrection. And the point of it is that when we asked him, do you like what Jesus says in the Bible? His answer was yes, most people like what Jesus says in the Bible except for the fact that they have to wrestle with this idea that Jesus also says he rose from the grave. He talks about himself as the God, the son. And while some might say, I like the teaching of Jesus, you have a hard time with accepting the claims of Jesus. And you can't have this acceptance of Jesus' teachings without also accepting his claims. C.S. Lewis, as many of us know, is a Christian author, philosopher, thinker. And uh, you might have heard this quote, but say it again because he's spot on. He says this, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something else, something worse. You cannot say that Jesus is simply a good moral teacher, a good man. He's actually a crazy man if the resurrection is not true because that's what he claims to be, God the son who's going to rise from the grave. So you cannot accept Jesus as just simply a nice guy, a moral guy. Because if someone were to come up on the street to you and say, I am the son of God, I I rose from the grave, I think all of us would say, get away from me, you're, you're crazy, you're weird, you're strange. So you cannot just simply accept Jesus as this nice man, as this moral man, as this great teacher. He has to be more than that. He, he says he's more than that. And he wants to be put into the spotlight as one who is to be glorified. So... The shock is not in the fact that he's going to be glorified. The shock comes in what part of him is to be glorified. The shock comes in the death of Christ that is to be glorified. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. So when these men said, show us Jesus, Jesus says, okay. I'll show you, me. And what he puts front and center is his death. He shows them through this metaphor, this agrarian metaphor of a kernel of a wheat that dies, that this is who he is going to be, one who dies. And there is nothing that bothers people more than a faith, a religion, that centers on the death, of the founder of that faith. Frederick Nietzsche, philosopher nihilist, says sarcastically about Jesus, he is the last Christian, and he died on a cross. We don't want to think about death, let alone worship one who has died. We don't like death because we hide from death as much as possible in our world today. We don't even want to say someone died if our loved one dies, they don't die, they pass away. And I always thought that was, I, I heard a sermon from uh, Alistair Begg on this, and I thought that was just a, such an interesting observation is that all of us, we have a hard time saying, my mother died, my aunt died. We want to say they passed away because death is too difficult to to grasp, too, too harsh. And so we... Do all that we can to push it aside. We um, we want to eat steak, but we don't want to think about the slaughterhouse where that steak comes from. We don't want to speak about the death of loved ones, even as they are ending the very last stages of their life. We will put off as long as possible to speak about their death, because it's so difficult to do so. Uh, I. My daughter sent me a picture that a few of uh, my two daughters were visiting, my third daughter in, in the East Coast, and they sent us a picture of this bug. It was like a gigantic centipede. I mean, it, was, it looked pretty gross. You know what's grosser than a really disgusting bug? Having to kill that bug and squash it. As bad as having a bug like that is there, no one wants to see the guts of the bug. It's just the whole concept of death is something we wanna run away from as much as possible. Biblical ethicist Ben Mitchell notes this about the church. He says, you have to work hard to avoid discussions of dying in the church. Yet that's exactly what we've done. We have avoided it with all of our might. Of all groups of people, Christians should be able to face dying well. After all, at the heart of our confession is a Redeemer who died. That's the heart of our confession. But yet, when our loved ones are dying and we as a church are trying to comfort, we almost don't know what to say, just as much as someone who doesn't know Christ. But at the heart of our confession, of our faith, is a Redeemer who died. Most of all, we should be the ones who are able to speak of death rightly But we have to understand first and foremost that we do believe in Jesus who died on the cross. And he wants that to be at front and center of our faith, which is very odd because there's no other religion in all the world where the focal point of faith is the death of the person who actually founded that faith. Jesus says here in John 12, 24, if you want to see him, you must see him in death. And my friends, I do think that that is a great stumbling block for so many. It was for one great apostle, the apostle Paul. It was a terrible stumbling block for him. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for Jews and folly to the Gentiles. And the reason he said that is because when he was a Jew, he's always been a Jew, but before he knew Christ, he was Saul. And the one thing he could not accept is that the Messiah would die. And so it was truly, he's saying these words because this is who he was. It was a stumbling block for him. Messiahs don't die. They, are, they rule in power. They dominate. They show power to the world. But one thing they do not do is they do not die. And so this Saul Paul did everything he could to stamp out this sect of Judaism to get rid of this Christianity once and for all. If there was one man who was against this dead Messiah, it was Paul, Saul, until he saw that dead Messiah resurrected on the Damascus Road. And when he saw Christ Jesus risen from the grave, this man who just despised this Christ, would now worship him and see who he was in light of that resurrection. Whether you realize it or not, death is around us everywhere. We might not see physical death all the time, but we see death almost every day. There's the death of relationships. Some of you have experienced that type of death. Maybe a broken relationship with a loved one, a parent, a child, the separation that you've experienced. Breakups, the death of marriages that die in divorce, a a relationship that we promise till death do us part and yet somehow the marriage has defeated and even beaten us to physical death. We see it in Ukraine, the death that is seen in war. I've seen it firsthand of children who have experienced the death of their parents, and now there's no longer that relationship of child to mother or father. There's a brokenness, a hopelessness, an emptiness. There, some of you experienced the death of your pet, your dog, your cat, your bunny, and you, you experience that loss, and it's real. I think for those who don't have a dog or a cat or a bunny, <laughs> you, you don't we don't take it as seriously until you own one or you have one and it becomes part of your family and you lose it. And there's, there's that death. There's the death of innocence that you experience as you see a child struggling perhaps with pornography, lust. And you think what happened to that innocent little child that now is wrestling with that? There's the death of not being able to have children and you've tried, and you've, you're, you're married. You always imagined having a full family, and you find out that you can never have children. There's the death of knowing that perhaps you will never find the person who will be your lifelong husband or wife. You will be single perhaps all your days. There is a death in that. There's a death of dreams. My desire to have a particular career path, You've studied all this time and can't actually get to that place. All of these are shadows. They point to an ultimate death. Not the physical death of our lives, but our eternal death. And it's the death of souls that have rejected God and have turned away from him. And that sense of loss that we feel in all these shadows of death are meant to be a reminder of that ultimate death that we cannot gain our own salvation. We can't rescue ourselves. We can't make all things good. And so all that pain and struggle and brokenness that we've experienced in our own lives, and if you haven't experienced much of it now, you will. And you will experience it more and more in this life. And no matter how hard you try to bridge that gap of not experiencing that pain, it never really works out in the end. And so we medicate ourselves, We drink ourselves, perhaps sometimes to death. We work ourselves, distracting ourselves, not wanting to experience pain as much as possible. You can try that route, but it never works. It always fades in the end. My friends, Jesus promises a much better escape. Actually, one that has the promise of eternal delight and joy forever. And it's found not in some temporary means that sort of numbs the pain. No, it delivers us from it. It frees us from that power. It's called the resurrection. But we Christians, if you believe in the resurrection, you have to assume death. Without death, there is no need for resurrection. We spent Good Friday mourning over sin, contemplating the death of our hearts, a rebellion against God, and you can't understand resurrection without doing that. So Christians experience and delight in the power of the resurrection, but we never avoid death. We we face it. We recognize it to be true, to be real. And we know that death seeps into all of life, but death does not overcome us. Death has been defeated by the resurrection of Christ, which is the third point that Jesus wants us to look at. In verses 24 to 25, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is a a complete reversal of death. It's the idea that when the fire sweeps through a forest and it seems as though everything is destroyed, all plants, all trees, all life, until... Out of that utter despair and brokenness, a shoot breaks through the ground, and suddenly you see green for the first time, new life. And actually, that fire that swept away all the the dead, rotten brush, the purpose of that fire is seen where the strength and power of new life comes. And no longer is the brush and the tree dead. There's power behind it. It's the point of what Jesus is saying here is that this agrarian metaphor of understanding that in order for life to be truly seen, the kernel of wheat must die. We have to be in a place where we see death is all around us and we do not run away from it. We don't try to sterilize ourselves from it and say, I don't wanna see As long as I close my eyes, it's not there. No, we are very willing to face it. And so Christians, you who are in Christ, we need to be in places where someone is literally dying and we do not run away from chemotherapy or from hospices. We actually have conversations, we pray, we engage ourselves deeply. When someone is hurting, we don't run from that person saying, I don't wanna see that type of darkness. We dive deep into that darkness and we say, I wanna be a source of comfort and light. We're very willing and ready to go to those places because we know death is not the end. We don't embrace death for death's sake. We just simply believe in the power of the resurrection that from that darkness can come this beauty. Paul describes this well in Ephesians chapter 2, verses four through six. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This day is a celebration day. It's the day that when Jesus rose, he didn't just rise and that's it. He also raised us up with him so that we no longer experience brokenness and hardship but we experience reconciliation, restoration, renewal, revival, resurrection with him. And just as much as there are shadows of death all around us, if you look very closely, very intentionally, if you look at the darkness and the death, you will always see the resurrection as well. I was hiking with my wife on the shores of Carmel and we both looked out and you look at the, the stunning beauty of the, the California coastline, and you see the jagged rocks and all that, just, it's, it's really breathtaking. But in talking to different people and studying that area, you know that that's the result of earthquakes, of a lot of really bad things happening to the earth, you might say. But California, with all of its beauty, every geologist knows that it's the result of a lot of brokenness, a lot of disaster. And sometimes, I wasn't here during the 89 uh, Loma Prieta earthquake, but supposedly, and some of you know this, I'm not from the Bay Area, but there was, in San Francisco, uh, a big freeway that passed over the Embarcadero, is that true? Yes, Yes, it's true, right? I've always heard this, everyone would say it was so ugly. And once the earthquake came, it just all was Broken down and gone. Now you have this beautiful open embarcadero. It, the, when we look in our world, you will always see beauty in the midst of brokenness if you're willing to look and to trust and to see. I need to tell you a story of our trip to Ukraine. So we were not expecting to go to Ukraine, actually. We were initially when we went, we were going to go to the borders of Romania, which is on the border of Romania and Ukraine, to deliver all of these goods that were um, gathered by the Spanish churches. And then so when we get to Romania, they say, oh, we're actually going to go drive to Ukraine. And we think, oh, okay, just right over the border. But then they said, we're going to go four hours in. (laughs) And if you know anything, actually, I read yesterday, uh, Russia just launched missiles into both Lviv and as well as Kyiv. And Lviv was only about maybe an hour to two hours north of where we were. We actually went. And it was striking because here's the, the sort of the consequence or like the confluence of how all this took place. One pastor, one of our global partners, Gabi Torrent, he's the pastor of the Villa Franca Church that we've had a good relationship with. He sent a WhatsApp to just a few pastors saying, we have this connection to this church in Romania, and they really need some goods to bring over to Ukraine. Would anybody be willing to help contribute? That WhatsApp was spread around to all the churches, even to old churches in Catalan, in uh, Spain, and they gathered up all the, like 25 churches about a tractor trailer full of goods. It was a full, a big on 18-wheeler, you know, and, um, and so, and then Gabi, when he contacted me and told me what was happening, he, he just sort of joked and said, would you be willing to do this and drive with us? And I, I was like, oh, no, no I, you know, I'm a week away. I can't do that. And, you know, it's Easter coming up. And But then as I just walked away from that conversation, I talked to my wife and I said, I feel like the Lord's calling me to do this. I don't know why. And so... Um, so Sung and I went and uh, on behalf of Wellspring, essentially, with our own donations from our church. And we drove this four-hour trek to this one stop. It was, And you have to understand, when a missile is launched, all the uh, siren, air, air raid sirens go off along the route of that missile. And so while we were distributing all these goods with a bunch of teenagers, they were all volunteers, and they were all refugees coming out of the east of Ukraine. There was this air raid siren going off. And all these teenagers and us were unloading these trucks. And you hear this blaring sound. And I was talking to this one woman. She, her husband is a pastor of a church. And he was also back in eastern Ukraine fighting. And he was, she and numerous people had just, were so struck by how all this came about. A bunch of Spaniards with a bunch of Americans here in the middle of a war in Ukraine are unloading these goods and people just could not wrap their brains around it. And frankly, we couldn't either. It was, this is in the midst, like I said, of air raid sirens and we had found out that, you know, Russia had launched a couple of missiles on that day at that moment into that area and we could hear the explosions. So you hear explosions, you hear airway sirens. How does in the midst of a war where there's so much destruction, so much hurt and pain, yet in the midst of it, there's still beauty? There's still this wonderful picture of believers coming together, caring for one another, where people are surprised and in wonderment not just Christians, but non-Christians, looking and saying, why are you here? It just doesn't make sense. The resurrection does not make sense. In the midst of darkness and despair, when you see believers who trust in Christ, who embrace death and not are afraid of it, but are willing to, as George so often says, run to the fire, run in. If we are in Christ, We see and embrace and understand death, but we also know about resurrection. We're very much willing to go into places. You could see that beauty. I've seen marriages on the brink of ending, seemingly hopeless. And you know what pulls you together and to say, let's press forward, is Christ. If Jesus can rise from the grave, so too can this very difficult marriage this impossible situation that seems where you'll never get together again, God can do the work. He can take a wayward child who has rebelled against him. And I know uh, there are some situations that just seems hopeless, despairing. You think there's no way my child will ever turn to Christ. Jesus rose from the grave. We must not forget that. Johnny and friends, they regularly remind parents about the death of their dreams of a, quote, normal child. And I think all of us who are parents, we have this idea that when you are awaiting the birth of your first child, and then perhaps something goes wrong, this child now is born with special needs, there's a the death of a dream, the death of an idea. And it's hard, and it's difficult. And yet, Johnny, whose very life as a quadriplegic is not easy, is a life of resurrection. To take a life that is utterly broken and to see the beauty through it, the wonderment. And that's what she, her life's mission and goal is, is to show these parents that that death of normalcy can bring about beauty and life and resurrection. And they are not seeking pity in the midst of their difficulties. No, they know the resurrection power of Christ. It's not easy, but it's still resurrection. Isaiah 61.3 shows us this beautiful picture. To grant, this is what the Messiah does, what Jesus is going to do, what Isaiah is predicting about the future Messiah, Jesus, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The beautiful headdress instead of ashes, beauty instead of ashes, or ashes there, but the beauty that comes from it. This is the Christian power. We do not just simply... Lower our heads, mourning all day, miserable and saying, oh, woe is me, our life is so hard. We don't believe simply that Jesus died on the cross. If that's all there is, then Paul says, we're to be the most pitied of all people. And I totally agree. Why should we be here at this time if Jesus' body is in a tomb somewhere, his bones rotting away? Then this is a sham. But Paul says, but that's not what happened. Indeed, Christ has risen. And because Christ has risen, we can go, as George Sneman does, into the darkest places of Africa and experiencing abject poverty. But you see care workers who are, they themselves, utterly poor, destitute, and yet you hear in these African homes, huts, dirt huts, singing even though these mothers have lost multiple children in death. How does that happen? It happens because of the resurrection power of Christ. Truly, there is resurrection and death. We see it every day. You just have to open your eyes. You have to understand first, there is death. I've seen former alcoholics and drug addicts and murderers in prison place their hope in Christ, and to be bright lights in some of the darkest of places, yes, even prisons, even in the midst of death, there's joy, there's peace, there's comfort. It happens, and it can happen for you. It's not too late, but first and foremost, you have to recognize that there is death. And if you look hard enough, and if you're willing to actually be honest with yourself, you'll see that death. You'll see it in the way in which you're trying to cover it up with perhaps too many drinks, maybe too many drugs, maybe work, a career, maybe just simple avoidance and resignation, maybe apathy. Something is, you're doing something to say, I don't want to think about my life. It's just too hard. Maybe it's in prosperity. As long as I achieve certain status, everything will be good for me. But that life is a miserable life in the end and it has a very terrible end. But if you're willing to see the son of man is glorified, he's exalted and he's been lifted up on a cross and he died that death for me and for you to pay the penalty so that we might be, experience the freedom that is found in being adopted as sons and daughters that all of that pain and suffering he bore on that cross for us so that we might have a right, restored relationship with the living God, now with your Father. And so that you're no longer a slave, but you're a son, your daughter. And when you have that identity and that new hope, there's a resurrection power in that that even if death should come your way, you will not be broken, forlorn, despairing, You will have hope and you will see beauty in places you could never have imagined and God will use you and he will bring you delight and peace and comfort and freedom and joy forever and ever and ever because Jesus underwent that death for you, that darkness for you. He bought your freedom with his blood and you have been raised with him. That's the promise of the gospel. That's the good news and that's why we're here on this Easter Sunday morning. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for the cross of Christ that frees us from the power of the grave. That power is seen in many different places, many different ways, in our relationships, in our pursuits of finding worth and value and never experiencing it, in rejection, in looking for meaning and purpose, and worth in other people's opinions of us. In our wealth, in our prosperity, in our pursuits of this world, they always fall short. It never provides what we're hopefully looking for. But Jesus, you died for that pain and for that rebellion. And what you ask of us is that we would trust and believe that the name of Jesus is able to conquer sin and death forever and ever. Death has truly lost its sting. And may the resurrection power of Christ impact us in ways and show us that we can cease striving. Know that you are God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you make our lives anew and you restore to us the joy of salvation. And for those who do not know you, Lord, this day, I pray that there would be some here who would turn to you and come to see the living God, that the Son of Man is glorified and raised up for all of us to free us from the power of sin and death. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.